Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone and welcome to the next edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this week we are looking at The Avengers Series 1, Episode 6, Girl on the Trapeze. This was written by Dennis Spooner and recorded and transmitted live on the 11th of February 1961 in the ABC Midlands and North regions. This episode actually exists. It was found in the UCLA Library in California. The script exists, the full script from uh, Barbara Forster, which is now in a private collection. There are no telesnaps and there's no production stills, but there is a full synopsis. And Big Finish, they've done a a full version of this as part of their Volume 5 of the Avengers Lost Episodes. That was adapted by Ray Lever. Now, this episode was originally called The Man on the Trapeze, and it was due to go out seventh in the run, but there were script issues with The Radioactive Man, so it was pulled forward. Episodes five to nine, which were in the broadcast live recording slot, they jostled about a bit in the original run. Interestingly, Patrick McNee, who doesn't appear in this episode at all, is given an also-starring credit in the TV Times. Dr. Exton, do you have a synopsis for us? I do, but before we start on the synopsis, I have a question. So you say that this was discovered in the American... University uh, of California uh, Library Archive, yeah. Was that at the same time as the first reel of Hot Snow was discovered? Now that I can't tell you, um, but it would seem reasonable that they were all found at the same time. I'm going to look that up, actually, because we've got another find coming up later on. I'll find out. I know Tunnel of Fear, that turned up completely separately. But of the three and a bit episodes that exist, two and a bit, I think they were found at the same time. I'll look that up for the next time. So, synopsis, and again, this is from um, Dave Rogers' Ultimate Avengers. A young girl dragged drowning from the Thames murmurs the name at Daniloff. This clue sets Dr. Kill and Carol on the train to the Reddick State Circus. There he discovers a girl swathed in bandages held captive by Zibbo the Clown. She is Anna Daniloff, who would replace the drowning girl, who's a tra- trapeze artist, when the circus returns to Reddick. Once in her home country, Anna's father would be forced to return after his recent defection. Taken prisoner by Zibbo, Keel and Carol eventually make good their escape. Police surround the circus. Zibbo and his motley crew are taken into custody and Anna is left to safety. Doctor. It's a young woman, sir. Jump on the bridge. Yes. She should be all right. Uh, She hasn't been been in the water long enough to do any harm. I've called an ambulance, sir. Yes, good. Anything I can do to help, sir? Not just for the moment, no, thank you. Oh, just a moment, sir. Just a moment. Uh, Lucky for her you were there, sir. If I might just have your name and address, please. Uh, Oh, just a formality, sir. uh, uh, George Karavich. And your address, sir? Uh, 12 Stadium Road. Where's that, sir? Uh, London. No, I mean the postal address. Ah. Uh, West 2. West 2. We might want to get a statement from you later on, sir, so we'll probably be getting in touch with you. How is she, sir? She doesn't seem to have much water in her. I've never seen this before. I know that you have, but uh, that was a bit good, wasn't it? 
Yeah, I've not seen it for years. And as we've seen with the Doctor Who and other stuff, when you watch things to podcast, you you look at things differently and you look at things a little bit more critically. I absolutely love this. Well, I went into it not knowing what to expect because I, I already knew that it was a, a keel forward episode and that Steed didn't appear in it, which I was a bit disappointed with, to be honest. And I will say that the thing does scream out for Patrick McNee to be in it because whatever or however good Ian Henry was, the simple fact is we find out in the first episode he's not a secret agent, he's a doctor, he's not an investigator, he's not an undercover agent, he's not a spy or a civil servant or anything. So he's very much, even by this stage, six episodes in, he's only really the apprentice and there's no senior organisation there. That's the only thing I felt was missing from this episode. Well, as you say, I quite liked that bit of it because it's obvious that he's not really terribly confident at what he's doing, um, in particular in the bit where he's examining the, uh, the girl in her dressing room. And he's discovered by the people who run the circus and he has to explain why he's there. And it's very, um, oh, um, uh, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, the hospital sent me. That's it. It's the hospital, <laughs> which he isn't in the Big Finish one. If you listen to Keel's explanation in the Big Finish one, he comes across as a much more accomplished and polished liar, whereas the televised version, not at all. He He's very uncomfortable making up this story on the fly. And I think that that's much more the amateur adventurer who just happens to have got caught up in all this sort of thing. That was an aspect of it that worked better for me on the the televised version rather than the big finished version. I don't know whether we've got any Who alumni. You might be better versed in this. Oh, well, we well, do, actually. We've got we do. Richfield, uh, who plays Stefan, and he was, I think, Mestor in the twin dilemma. <laughs> he was. He was also Captain Hart in the Sea Devils. Oh, of course. I knew it's in his face. Yes, of course he was. Um, he was Clive Bradley in the Owl Service, which I know we ha have yet to come on and do in the, the Extremos experiment, but you will enjoy that. I mean, that's not an instruction. It's a, a prediction. Um, <laughs> you will enjoy this. <laughs> he was in the Quatermass and the Pit film. He's got a long history of telefantasy. He was in the 1950s Invisible Man. He was in the Strange World of Gurney Slade, UFO, Out of the Unknown, Adam Adamant Lives, Mystery and Imag Imagination, and R3. And also a lot of sort of cult TV from that time as well. So Ghost Squad, The Odd Man, Night Errant, OSS, Shadow Squad, May Gray. He was in lots and lots and lots of stuff. He would be a very well-known face in the 60s and going forward. There was Ivor Salter, who plays the sort of second-in-command policeman, who was Odysseus in The Mythmakers. He was the Morrock commander in... Mm the Space Museum, and he was Sergeant Markham in Black Orchid. Yes, he was, yeah. He also, possibly more importantly, appeared in the Victim as Red episode of The Corridor oh, People as God Blinky. Sake. Also appeared in the 1950s Secret Garden, um, Adam Adam at Live, Sierra 9, and Pathfinders in Space. David Gray was Rin Chen in The Abominable Snowmen, and Delena Kidd, who played Vera, was one of the actresses originally planned to play or originally shortlisted for the part of Polly in The War Machines and for the next year. 
She also appeared as Dr. Ellen Carey in The Secret Beneath the Sea, Dr. Laura Denville in the Some Lapse of Time episode of How to the Unknown, Nancy Long in the Puppets of Evil episode of Undermined, and Pat Hardacre in the Black Anniversary episode of The Man in Room 17. And the thing that you'll possibly recognize her from is she was Mrs. Pitt in the Guilty World of Hosea Pitt episode of It's Dark Outside. I'm really, really glad you said that because she had that sort of familiar face. And I thought, has she just got that face or have I seen it in something else? But yeah, uh, yeah what a, a another beautiful actress of the 60s. Uh, uh, she just got one of those faces. She is still with us. She was born in 1935. So she's uh, getting on a torch. But I do notice from IMDb that uh, Ian Gardner, who played the policeman, he only died last month, August the 17th, 2021. Yeah, he'd not been acting for years and years and years, had he? No, last credit is 1987 in Howard's Way. That That's not to diminish his death, because... Oh, no, no, certainly not. Any, it's, um, any death diminishes the world. Uh, but I am surprised when we watch things like this, how many people are actually still alive from... Certainly the early 60s. Um, and when you when you look back, certainly over the family members that I've lost in my short lifetime, they sure. all died in their 60s. You know, there was no staying power whatsoever because they were all heavy smoking, heavy drinking, not exactly healthy eating people living very poorly. So to find that some of these people are still with us, you know, it's a, a delightful surprise, or, but it is a surprise. I mean, I don't expect you get many people through the door that are on 60 a day anymore. No, I mean, I, I used to when I, I, I still worked in acute medicine and in rehab medicine where I find myself at the moment. Then, no, anybody who's that that ropey, because uh, 70-year-olds who've been doing 60 a day, if they get ill, they get very, very, very ill and don't generally tend to end up with us trying to find them care home placements. Dragging us back to Girl on the Trapeze. One of the things I noticed was all the sets are very, very small. Um, oh, you see, I, th I thought the opposite. Well, if you look at them, there's They're an all, awful lot going on crammed it's into all in, It's all interconnected. So things like the dressing room door, you see from a number of different angles. Mm. Things like the box office, you see from a number, number of different angles. I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was incredibly well designed. The, the work of the set designer and the director really shone out here i thought it looked brilliant um it was nice to see some location for filming yes very briefly on on uh, westminster bridge it's a pity that there was there was such a difference in picture quality between the location filming and the film inserts so setting up the visuals of the circus they have film inserts which work but there's a big difference in picture quality between that and the sets agreed but these would have been being watched on four or five line tvs we are watching these on flat screen TVs as they were supposed to be viewed at the time. And nobody really would have been viewing them, even at the time, in this good definition. Yeah. So they could have got yeah. away with, a, well, or they would have got away with a lot of stuff that we now spot as very obvious. I know it's not a criticism. It's, uh, it's just no, the it, way it, TV was made it, at the time. It is a comment. Um and the other thing I noticed is there were lots of extras running about in the, uh, the background. Yeah. We, we used to Doctor Who where you've got the, the same three extras um, <laughs> sort of all over the place. There weren't. There were people in, in circus costumes and animal wranglers and... Oh, Kenny oh, Baker was in it. He was uncredited, yeah. but Kenny Baker was in it. Yes, as one of the clowns. Mm. 
So I think the sets looked fantastic. I, th I think they looked active rather than busy. So, yeah, you had lots of extras running around, but they weren't tripping over each other. No, but a lot of and the... And you had donkeys. You did, yes, you did have donkeys. What they got done for the studio size they must have had is fairly impressive. Because bear in mind, there was also Dr. Keel's surgery office was in there as well. And that's not a small set. It's a full sort of living room, effectively. But the actual circus ring itself, they had tiers and tiers of extras and some brilliant sound design to make it sound like it was much bigger than it was. Are you sure? Yes. And, and he said he was a doctor? Yes. Oh, it is him, then. I thought so. He must have recognised me. Are you sure that you left nothing on the ground? Positive. I searched her clothes thoroughly. They can't find a thing. I think I'll go to my dressing room and clean this off. You, you keep your eye on me, huh? All right. I'm going to take a look. We'll be here any minute now, though. Well, I've been thinking, you know, if I'm wrong, we could get old Lewis into a lot of hot water. What are you going to do? Well, just stick my head around the dressing room door and see if she's there or not. It don't take a minute. You're supposing he comes back and we're not here? Yes, though? you better wait for him, eh? But I want to come with yes, you. Yes, I know you do, but somebody's got to meet him, haven't they? Now, look, if he arrives before I'm back, you just tell him where I've got him, there's nothing technically that I can fault about this. For 1961, technically, it was a brilliant episode. I watched this and was just really sad that there's only two other episodes we can watch. Because I know one of those you've said isn't brilliant, Tunnel of Fear. Yeah. The ones that have the really good reputation, so Dragonfield and the Deadly Air and Dead of Winter, those ones I would, I would love to see. Whereas... I think Tunnel of Fear is a bit like getting... Celestial Toymaker? Celestial Toymaker Part 2 back. If, you, God, you'll if see that thing I mean, ever turns up. You'll see, but you'll see what I mean once we've seen the whole first series out of the way. It is a comparatively weak episode. It's still a good watch, mm. but compared to the other stuff that's there, it's a comparatively weak episode. In terms of the plot of Girl on the Trapeze, it was a really nice Cold War intrigue. The whole murder one of their own and then switch somebody else out to be able to blackmail her father to come back to an Iron Curtain country that he's just defected from. That was quite nice. Now, the people they sent over to do this plot were fairly incompetent because they've got the, the girl that they planned to murder to make it look like she's drowned and then swap with the, the girl that they're aiming to take back to the, uh, the Iron Curtain country. They let national newspapers have publicity photos of her. That's not great forward planning. Uh, no. And then she's supposed to be drowned, and they don't drown her. Again, not great forward planning, because it's likely that a doctor would see her at some point and go, hello, <laughs> this doesn't look like somebody who's drowned. I, I do always uh, love anything on television, particularly of this era, where somebody falls into the Thames. Because at this point, it was heavily polluted, even even then. If anybody went anywhere near the water of the Thames for filming, immediately that they came out, they were seen by a doctor uh, because it was that bad and, and they, were, they went away to be treated if they were in that water. Whenever anybody's pulled out, they're always perfectly okay. It's just, it's, yeah, we'll go for a swim in this water if you like. Uh, but well, yeah, she's in the Eastern Bloc. They, they, make, them, they make them hardy. <laughs> I, have you not heard of the hygiene hypothesis? <laughs> I think that one has passed me by. It's a very immunology thing. I'll bore you with that at some point. I love the fact that they avoided the cliche of the ringleader. 
I can't think of another drama involving a circus that hasn't had a ringleader front and centre, and this didn't. There was a clown, there was a high-dive artist, and a strong man, and the circus manager. Ringleader... I would have said, you don't ever see the ringmaster, do you? He's not yeah, there. exactly. Because they are front and centre in the centre of the, the ring, and not able to run around in the background and, and threaten people. The other thing I liked was that it wasn't the manager who was the, the sort of leader behind it, who, who was the one in charge. It was the clown. Mm. And when we come to the big finish, that's not that obvious. No. And I liked the fact that you've got somebody who in the circus organization will be a bit backgroundy, but is actually in charge because that's probably the way you do things in the real world. You wouldn't put the one who is front and center as the one who's in charge. So I, I really did like that. I started off thinking that the Edwin Richfield character was a little bit underused because of this. And then when I thought more about it, I thought, no, this is exactly what you would want to do. You would want your front of house character not to be the one who has to be running around and organizing things because they're the ones that you'll be sending off to deal with authorities. They're the ones that you would want to deal with the police and things. In fact, it's possibly or would be a little bit more realistic if your Mr. Front of House actually had no idea what was going on and was a bit a bit of a stooge. Mm, possibly. Yes, possibly. I appreciate that that would have meant adding another character. Um, and to my mind, there were already... Not really enough for all of the circus characters to do. The clown's accent was very variable. <laughs> and it was sort of every so often it was sort of, oh, yes, remember to do the East European demonstration accent. mode. But a lot of the time just slipped back into his natural accent. Physically was, very well cast, though. I thought the clown. Yes. And and did the clown bit very well. Mm. Um, it was nice to see that Carol got some some action, although it's a little bit unrealistic um, that a nurse who was parachuted into it, did not really knowing what, what was going on, was able to overpower a, a Soviet spy. I did wonder that, but then I thought, mm, fight or flight, maybe. I actually thought that was much better done in the big finish where she didn't overpower Vera. Um, she sort of snuck around, grabbed the syringe and said, yeah, this is about the right dose. Fajung, in it goes. <laughs> As um, they were wandering off at the end of the episode, I did wonder whether Carol would be turning in to work the next morning. Yeah, it's a, I don't mind you sloping off, but actually this is a bit too much and I'm off down the labour. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I, I noticed about uh, the Dr. Keel character, which I don't think Steed would have done and the, the policemen don't do later on in the episode, is that he goes and sneaks around the uh, the backstage of the the circus in a suit and tie and stands out like a sore thumb. Mm, I mean, yeah. how he got uh, as far along as he did, God only knows. But he he really did stand out, and that again testament to the fact that he is an amateur. Yeah, because there are several attempts by Keel to escape once he's um, locked up, and they sort of they start grilling him. He has several opportunities to escape, which were this any other leading character. There would have been the traditional kosh, you know, woman screaming, I'm ill, I'm ill, come in, guard rushes in, clobbered over the head, they escape. None of that happens. And that happens yeah. several times, and Keel's ineptitude is shown up, which I actually found quite endearing. Yes, and I mean, we're only six stories in, so he's still very new to the whole espionage thing. And he's got Carol with him, who hasn't really done anything aggressive up until this point. 
she's there, she's been supportive, but it's been supportive from home base. And the other thing I initially thought was a little bit jarring was the whole she said she's going to stop around and do some filing and then ends up just sitting there and carrying on watching telly for the evening until he comes back. And I thought, well, that, that's a bit contrived until I realised that it was 1961. She probably didn't have a telly in her own house. Mm. We look at these things sometimes through a very 21st century prism and little things like that would have been a major issue. I was very amused by the idea of an aliens list. Oh, I've edited that out. Go on. When they, when they were looking to try and identify the, the girl that came out of the river and realised that her name may be Danlov, it's, oh, bring me the aliens list. And I just thought, oh, how long is it before Pretty Patel does that? I am not going to let you go down this rabbit hole. <laughs> that That's it as far as the, uh, the TV programme goes, apart from two things. One... I absolutely loved it. It is fantastic. I'd forgotten just how good this was. And second, when they drag the woman out of the Thames and he's doing that weird patting her on the back and waggling oh, her arms up and down. yes. Which is not so that he wasn't groping her tits on prime time. No, 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 no. That's the way artificial respiration used to be. What, compressing from the back rather than the front? Yes. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a thing called Holger Nielsen. And when I when I first did first aid training way back in the 1980s, we were taught how to do Holger Nielsen. We were taught three different methods of artificial respiration. One was the CPR that we do now. One was Holger Nielsen, which was if somebody's trapped on their front, this is the only way to get air into them. And the other one was a thing called the Sylvester method, which is if somebody's on their back but they've got such a, a damaged mouth that you can't get a seal on it with mouth to mouth. And then it was realized that Holger Nielsen and Sylvester just didn't work. The weird CPR thing that doesn't make an awful lot of sense to a modern audience is exactly what would have been done in the 1960s because it's what we would have done in the mid 80s. Well, that was completely new to me. Didn't know. Right. So big finish. Wake up, doctor. Doctor. Now then. Why did you come here, Doctor? I was sent from the hospital. The truth, please, Doctor. Why did you come looking for this girl, huh? I'll jog your memory. I was sent from the hospital. Oh, you can do much better than that, Doctor. For instance, who were you telephoning? I was telephoning the police. They're on their way. Uh-huh. You want me to shoot? Look, they know I'm here. Of course. And if they don't find me... Oh, they'll find you, all right, Doctor. And you'll talk to them, you know? Yes, you'll say it was all a big mistake. And you're sorry, but you've wasted their time. And if I don't? The gun, of course. Oh, but not for you. This time it will be for the girl. I enjoyed this an awful lot more than I expected to. Obviously, script-wise, it is adapted very, very closely from the original script. But the observations you've already made of the characterizations, I was listening to this, and I'm glad I watched the TV version first, because it helped me visualize the scenes an awful lot better. I also thought that some of the characterizations, even though the lines were the same, or more or less the same, I think the delivery had a lot to do with it. So I'm wondering whether any of those cast had actually been shown the TV version first or whether they just did it as they thought and it was directed that way. What's your thoughts? 
My thought at the time that this came out, and actually still now, I really wish Big Finish hadn't done this. There are some changes in plot, some of which work, some of which I don't think work. Um, the, the clown is no longer obviously in charge, and I thought that was a positive thing about the TV version. Carol doesn't do the overpowering Vera scene. She does the sneaking up behind, grabbing the hypodermic syringe and pumping her full of barbiturates. That, I think, worked better. They have a cliched, gruff, thug voice, which was Thick Brother in the Crescent Moon episode. It was in The the Strongman in this, and it is just incredibly cliched and unimaginative. My biggest problem is that when you watch the TV show with professional production levels, and okay, they're early 60s professional, it's a bit rough around the edges, but they are superb performances. It looks great. You then bring in the big finish version, which if you were listening to on it on its own, and if the visuals didn't exist, we'd probably think this was great. But the visuals do exist, and it comes across as very amateur by comparison. And the problem that I, I then have with that is that it makes me think, well, if this is a good sounding big finish, but actually it looks at, it sounds amateur compared to the real thing, how much are we missing out on? by not having the the originals of the other big finishes that we've enjoyed. And it diminishes the whole range by association. When it first came out, I really, really, really wish they hadn't done this. And I still do. Oh, no, I'm a little less critical. Um, There's a surprise. Well, I know, but it's not like I universally laud everything that Big Finish produces. There's quite a lot of it that I, I really don't like at all. And, and to be honest, I wish they hadn't done this, I don't, I think you're probably uh, too familiar, it's a little unfair, uh, but because you're so familiar with The Avengers as a series. and Not, se- not season one, I'm not. No, but you'll have seen, I imagine that you've seen these once or twice before Big Finish even thought about making them. A couple of times. Yeah, but- so you're going to be familiar with the style and it's inevitable that you're going to compare it. I mean, bear in mind that I saw Dalek's... Invasion Earth 2150, a million times before I saw the TV version. Now, sacrilegious though it is, I still don't really enjoy the TV version. I think it's dull and boring, whereas it should be the other way around. I should look at the movie version of that as, you know, a big-budget, sort of populist, tacky remake, and I don't. So I think it depends on which version you're more familiar with. I do get your... I mean, there there is an element of that. What, I mean, you saying I I saw this a million times before I saw the TV version. I probably saw Girl on Trapeze twice, maybe three times before I listened to The Big Finish. I've listened to The Big Finish once, and that was when it first came out. And I haven't I haven't done either before this podcast, so I'm not intimately familiar mm. with the t- with the TV version. It's not something I've watched loads and loads and loads of times. See, bear in mind that we're coming to it from an era where in the 19, or certainly the early 1960s, the vast, vast majority of actors on television were theatre actors. Yeah. So they were more expressive, they were more versed in acting. I mean, I, I don't care what anybody says, theatre cuts you jib like nothing else. It's bloody hard work and it forces you to act in a way that... Um, it's, it's completely different now to how it is on television. A lot of the people that they'll be hiring from Big Finish, they might not even have stepped onto the boards. I don't know. It would be monstrously unfair. 
I do agree with you that there is a gravitas behind the TV version that is slightly lacking from the Big Finish version. Personally speaking, I didn't see the great cosmic gap that you're feeling, but I do get where you're coming from completely. Yeah, and Going on a Trapeze was, what, volume five. So I'd listened to four volumes mm. of, of this before having one to directly compare with the live version. And I, I loved them. I thought they were one of the best things that Big Finish has ever done. And the moment that this happened, the moment there was, oh. I you really mean a direct wanna... comparison with the real thing? <sighs> yeah, I, yes. I, was really, I was really trying not to use the phrase <laughs> the real thing. But yes, a direct comparison with the actual televised. This is the, a genuine professional product rather than fans. The moment that that happened, it diminished everything else. Because I now can't help but listen to things like Dead of Winter or Dragonsfield, which I'd absolutely love without thinking, look at Girl on a Trapeze and look at the massive difference between the audio and the, the visuals and just imagine how good Dragonsfield would be. I really wish they hadn't done it. This and the Frighteners. Okay, Tunnel of Fear, not really a choice about that because at the time that Big Finish were doing these, they didn't have Tunnel of Fear, so it was another missing episode. And that will be a more interesting comparison. And actually, I haven't listened to Tunnel of Fear in years and years and years. And I've, I've only seen the episode once because I didn't think it was particularly good. Whereas Girl and Trapeze and the, the, Frighten the Frighteners is a great episode when we come on to that. I've actually seen that more times than I've seen Girl and Trapeze. So before we ramble on way, way too long, we should rate this in Masterminds. <laughs> And I think it's only fair that since the TV version exists, our first score should be for that. Oh, so we're, we're scoring TV and Big Finish separately? I think where they both exist, we probably should, to be fair. Yeah. So um, TV version? I, th I think a four. It, it's very good. It's very entertaining. The whole first scene where Anna Daniloff turns up at the circus to meet her friend and then goes through the door and is just confronted by the clown, has that kind of Avengers quirkiness coming in early on. So that's great. But there there are quite a number of flaws in the plot, mainly the fact that the circus who have been sent over to fulfill this particular mission kind of make some fairly fundamental errors. And if they hadn't, then they would have got away with their plan scot-free. The TV version is a four. I agree. Uh, for all the reasons you've just listed, mine's a four out of five as well. Big finish? Three. And again, three out of five from me. It's good. It's as good as any of the others that they do. And the reason I really wish they hadn't done it is because it's as good as any of the others that they, d they do. And it demonstrates that they are a fan copy of the professional original. I think he might be doing a bit of a disservice there. I mean, bear in mind, they've not got the visuals to work with, for starters. And if, you've, if you're given an audio version of something and a good visual version of exactly the same thing, it doesn't matter how good the audio version is. You're probably always going to prefer the visual version. I mean, we both love radio stuff. But if we were given one of the audio marples and a TV Hickson marple, which one are we going to prefer? Hmm. It's a harsh choice because we both know how high the production values are on both. But I, despite the fact that I absolutely adored the audio Miss Marples, 
it would be the Joan Hickson visual version every time. Absolutely. And this is the whole reason I really wish Big Finish had not adapted this episode, because it diminishes the whole of the rest of the range. I sort of see where you're coming from, but on the other hand, that would have really pissed off the completists. I Uh, don't care. (laughs) You're a harsh basket sometimes. (laughs) So have we said enough? We have rambled on a (laughs) lot. Everything you do, every decision you make, particularly when it comes to fandom, will piss somebody off. That's just fact of life. So therefore, they should do the things purely to please me. But yes, that is, that's near the, the nub of the matter. And on that note, we have rambled on considerably longer than usual this time, but uh, there's been an but awful we ha- lot we have had two it. episodes to review, effectively. We have, effectively. But next week, it is episode seven, which is Diamond Cut Diamond, and we're back down to audio only. So if you've stayed the course with us this far, boys and girls, thank you very much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope that we've uh, given you the urge to go out and watch and listen to these things where they exist. If not... We won't see you next time. Um, and actually, I'm not going to apologise for for ranting because I do it all the time. And if you have a problem with it, then best not to tune back. Yes, so with that uh, commercial... <laughs> <laughs> that hearty plug for future episodes and we've got over well, 160 I don't, I don't make any come. money out of this so <laughs> yes thank you very much everyone we'll be back next week bye now they'll be back you can depend on it Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss with thanks to Studio Canal Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.